0: GirlWise is a safe space to learn and discuss all kinds of topics through anecdotes and evidence-based research. I'm your host, Brenda Nicole, and welcome to GirlWise. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Today, I'm going to talk about the phrase, if he wanted to, he would, because it has been trending for over a year at this point. It Pertains mainly to romantic relationships where women especially are left wondering why, during the first few stages of romance, the attempt seems small and uninterested. And yes, at first, this may highlight that men have historically put minimal effort into their romantic and non-romantic relationships with women, But where should we draw the line between realistic and unrealistic expectations from our partners? Hey everyone! Before we begin, I wanted to give a clear and important disclaimer to ensure that listeners understand the limitations of the advice given on this podcast. I am not a professional or expert on the topics being discussed, and you should always use your own judgment when it comes to where you stand on a subject and making decisions. While I do my best to direct you in what I think is the right direction, it is always wise to consult with a qualified professional when seeking advice on a particular issue. References will be in the show notes, so you can take a look at the places I'm getting my information from as well. You know your own story and situation better than anyone else, so do what is best for you always. Thank you so much, and enjoy this episode. So if he wanted to, would he really? I think to a certain extent, yes, in the sense that people have free will, and the actions that people make speak for their character. With that being said, we also have to use our own judgment in every situation because, as many people have stated, nothing is as simple as one catchy quote makes it out to be. There is something to be said about having certain basic reasonable expectations to be met. That is normal. There's nothing wrong with wanting things from another person in a relationship. It's the purpose of a relationship. In romantic relationships, it's to gain security, trust, safety, and love from another person. If the other person doesn't want to put forth the energy towards connecting, then of course you're going to pick up on that and either internalize it as if something is wrong with you or that the problem is on them. And on rare occasion, recognize that both may have a role to play in different ways. There have been arguments made that sometimes people are in a mental state where it's not as simple as wanting. To that, I say that they still have to take responsibility for themselves. This statement comes from the recognition that neurodivergence, anxiety, or even introvertedness can inhibit people from meeting some expectations. And while that can be a very complex topic... Those things should never be weaponized to make you think that your basic needs are asking for too much. All of those things, while they may change some dynamics in the relationship, are still that person's responsibility. You cannot fix or do someone else's emotional work or processing for them. Adults are emotionally responsible for themselves, even the ones that may do so in a different manner. On that note, it's also important to find someone that you are emotionally compatible with. It is completely valid to not want to be with someone whom emotionally you can't see eye to eye with, regardless of what they may or may not be going through. This doesn't make you a bad person too much or unworthy. Rather, it means that you know yourself well enough to know what you want from another person or what you can handle. This stops the cycle of finding someone you think you can change, not being able to change them, building resentment towards them, and then having the whole relationship explode because you were never on the same page to begin with. And then wondering why relationships never work out for you. This is why knowing what you want and need is so important along with not settling until you find that. It's what's fair to both parties in order to build a successful relationship. Another very important aspect is to ask yourself what you want and communicate that. I've talked about this in my learning to be comfortable with your boundaries being respected episode, but it's of extreme importance that we communicate what we want instead of being upset that people aren't reading our minds. If you want someone to be romantic let them know. If you want them to have a constant flow of communication, then let them know. If you want a serious relationship, let the person know. As long as the wants are within reason for your situation and not hurting either of the people involved, they are valid. We have to stop with the mind reading games because as I said in that episode, it perpetuates so many unhealthy dynamics between men and women regardless of the other person's attachment style they should try to understand and empathize with you and vice versa in order to make the relationship feel safe and fulfilling there are anxious attachment styles where someone may need a lot more attention and reassurance but that still doesn't mean that they can't take responsibility for their insecurities and anxieties and work on them but also communicate this in a healthy manner instead of having unspoken expectations between you that build up over time and again end up collapsing the whole relationship when you have communicated these things then if the person chooses not to reciprocate or even invalidate them by making you feel bad about wanting things from a relationship, then that is proof enough that they are not worth your time and effort. Because not doing anything is still a conscious choice. The way someone chooses to behave is a reflection of them, not of you. I've read that some people may take the phrase as salt to the wound. To me, if he wanted to, he would is not meant to say that you're not worthy of him wanting that with you, rather it's to say that if he wanted to be a loving, caring, respectful person, then he would regardless of who it's with, but especially if he agreed to a courtship with you in the first place, even if it was just flirting or leading you on. It's meant to highlight that he has the capacity to do good things in that relationship and he is choosing not to do so. And because adults are responsible for themselves and their own actions, you should never let someone convince you that you made anyone do anything or act a certain way. It was their choice to do so. Situations like this are why it's so important to discern wants versus needs. If someone is using anxiety as a way to excuse disrespectful behavior, then that is not okay. Sometimes wants, like certain kinds of gifts or gestures, are not within range for someone despite how much they want to give those things to you. In that case, they could put effort elsewhere to show care and investment. But respect is a need, and there should be no excuse as to why someone can't give you that. But let's get into the neuroscience of this topic, which I actually fell down a rabbit hole for like three days about. Now, because I'm not an expert, I cannot say definitively if scientifically the statement is backed by research because there's no specific article that states that it is. But I will give you the facts and you can decide for yourselves. And I will give my own opinions and conclusions in the end. When it comes to wanting and desire, in the brain, a cognitive process called motivational salience comes into play. Motivational salience is a form of attention that motivates or propels an individual's behavior towards or away from a particular object, perceived event, or outcome. It refers to the degree to which a stimulus or event is capable of attracting and holding our attention influencing our behavior, and eliciting an emotional response. In other words, it is the extent to which something is perceived as relevant, important, or interesting to us based on our needs, goals, values, and past experiences. For example, a person who is hungry may find food to be highly salient, and their attention and behavior will be directed towards obtaining it. In contrast, a person who is not hungry may not pay much attention to food or may even find it unappealing. Similarly, a person who is afraid of spiders may perceive a spider as highly salient, eliciting fear and avoidance behavior, whereas someone who is not afraid of spiders may not react much to it. Motivational salience plays an important role in shaping our perception, cognition, and behavior as it helps us to prioritize and allocate our resources for example, attention, energy, and time, towards the things that matter most to us. It also affects our learning, memory, and decision-making processes as we tend to remember and choose the things that are more salient to us. As I mentioned, it is composed of two component processes called incentive salience and adversive salience. Incentive salience is when a stimulus is attractive and can be associated with reinforcement theory, which is you get what you reinforce, desirable outcomes, and pleasurable stimuli. On the other hand, aversive salience causes avoidance behavior and can be associated with operant punishment, undesirable outcomes, and unpleasant stimuli. Psychiatrist Livia DePicker describes salience as, quote, the filter that is crucial to learning and is universally present in all intelligent life, end quote, she says that humans have the largest capacity to adapting to our environment and has been researching how and why we deem things important with emotions being a big part of the answer. She goes on to describe feelings as some sort of shortcut that our biology has created meant to help us make complex choices without putting in complex brain power like in mathematical equations for example. Feelings influence a large part of what is salient to us. Scientists have tried to break down this by studying our brains and how these neural pathways are created or reinforced by hormones like dopamine and catecholamine systems. But even so, there are dopamine-independent pathways or instances where dopamine is present in non-rewarding events that make many aspects remain a mystery. Another big discovery was the difference between want and liking. This article says, quote, Liking is essentially hedonic impact, the brain reaction underlying sensory pleasure triggered by immediate receipt of reward, for instance, a sweet taste. Wanting or incentive salience is the motivational incentive value of the same reward, the incentive motivational value of a stimulus, not its hedonic impact. The important point is that liking and wanting normally go together, but they can be split apart under certain circumstances, especially by certain brain manipulations. Liking without wanting can be produced, and so can wanting without liking, end quote. Which is super crazy and kind of scary, even though it definitely makes a lot of sense. In 2021, scientists wanted to figure out how much motivational salience guided attention in both valuable and threatening stimuli. Through looking at images of people's brains through an MRI, they were able to conclude that experience-driven attentional control was directly affected by motivational salience after the participants were shocked or experienced thermal pain. After working with patients that had undergone psychotic episodes, DePicker found that Because of the flooding of dopamine that happens in the brain, in these instances, salience is broken and they are no longer able to filter out this information. Because of this, they became overwhelmed by the world around them and had delusional ideas while trying to rationalize what was happening. With medication, their thoughts went back to normal and she realized that in our brains, salience comes first and ration comes later. She says, quote, the brain comes up to match the feelings and not the other way around, end quote. So in conclusion, if I understood the science correctly, which there are references to everything that I just mentioned in the show notes so you can look at it yourself, then my understanding is yes, if he wanted to, he would, is scientifically correct. Now, why he does or does not want to is quite complex and is affected by thousands if not millions of different factors both conscious and unconscious that no person could ever name all or even be fully aware of them. Salience affects all our decision making and the actions that we choose and much of that salience comes from past experiences that have shaped us and I think that As salience comes before ration, this could be an explanation as to why people do things that don't make sense to us. You could be the perfect girl on paper, playing all the right cards, saying all the right things, being the prettiest girl at the party, and because of this person's unique neural makeup, they will do things that make sense to them and not to others. This is why we shouldn't take these things personally. When I say it's not you, it's them, this is what I mean. And I do want to mention, because I said dopamine a lot, not to forget that there is no such thing as a dopamine detox because not only do we not even know all the purposes of dopamine in the brain, you cannot control how much dopamine you have in your brain by disconnecting your Wi-Fi only with medications. So if anything, this reinforced the idea that dopamine detoxes truly are a mockery of science. With that being said... It's time for Ask Me Anything, the ending segment of the podcast where you can ask me literally anything. Today's question is, what's your favorite holiday and why? I think my favorite holiday is, though I absolutely adore fall, it is Christmas and it has been Christmas for a very long time. My mood just changes so much throughout the holiday season. And I think it started because when I was nine, I believe, I went to Disney World for the first time and it was during the Christmas season. And I literally think that that experience changed the neural makeup of my brain because ever since then, I have not just liked, but have stated that I am obsessed and called myself the queen of Christmas because I make Christmas my entire personality throughout the whole month of December (laughs) so uh, yes I love Christmas and that is why obviously I've had many amazing Christmases and I just I love the warm cozy just nostalgic feeling of it as well like Christmas during elementary school was so amazing I grew up in the U.S., obviously, and the amount, like, how much people embrace Christmas the entire month of December, especially where I grew up, really, really made me just so appreciative of taking the time to really love something, if that makes sense. Anyways, I've rambled on too much. That's my favorite holiday. And now I return the same question to you. What's your guys' favorite holiday? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to send in a question, you can do so by sending an email to girlwisepod at gmail.com. And I will see you guys next week. Bye!